Good morning. Greetings in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. What a blessing indeed to uh, stand before you this morning as we hear God's word. We are still in um, James. Um, let me take this time. I see, I see a face there at the back and I see uh, two faces there. Um, I've, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. <laughs> uh, Francis Parraza. <laughs> And I see uh, the ladies there at the back. Hi. I can't hear. Josephine. Okay. Okay, great. Morning. Josephine and, and Violet. Welcome. Get to know them um, um, over tea and coffee after church. All right, we, we, we look at James. We are just about to finish um, looking at the book of James. And we, we are in chapter 5, verse 13 up until 18. <clears throat> and for next week, we'll be left with two last verses uh, from, from the book. We're going to look at this text um, on the subject of prayer for all times. Prayer for all times. Now maybe let me, let me just take you back. We, we looked at uh, in chapter 4, remember how, how James addresses the issue of worldliness, right? How he warns them against worldliness and how worldliness uh, um, disrupts and divides the church when we allow worldliness to um, make its way in into the, 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 the community of Christ, the community that Christ has purchased with, those, with his own blood. And we see even as, as, as the theme goes up until chapter 5, verse 1 to 6, that worldliness, what it does, it shapes people's minds to start uh, uh, making plans without God in chapter 5. And in chapter 6, um, it shapes people's minds in the way they use their finances, in the way they handle money. That they end up using money to exploit people. Right? And then now James comes to the point where we looked at him in verse 7 last week, where we actually, he's actually moving into a portion of the book, uh, beginning in verse 7. Um, and here, James, what he's doing is that he's giving his parting words. These are the words that speakers call my concluding remarks. For James, they are short, they are punchy, they are practical, they are powerful. They are powerful exhortations which he, he wants to leave ringing in the ears and the hearts of the Christians to whom he has been speaking. And not surprisingly, as we have seen, James, uh, as he does before, he actually goes back to, the, to, to these final words, to, 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 to things um, that he spoke about in the very beginning of the book. So you'll see what he does, right? He starts the book by talking about trials and he, he ends the book by speaking about trials as well. You'll see that as we continue. For instance, if you look back at the passage we studied in, in chapter 7, 
verse, uh, in chapter 5, verse 7 to, to 12, you will note that the theme patience comes, uh, comes through, right? He's speaking about patience. And, 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 and the question is, how did James open the book? He starts by speaking about trials and, and in calling them to, to have patience in the midst of the trials, to, to be marked by steadfastness, right? And so James here is going back, is taking us back to some of the themes that he opened with in this book. And that's the, the method of a good teacher. Because he wants to do what? He wants them to get these things. He, he, he wants them never to forget these things. Because these are the things that they need as they, as they go through their daily lives. He repeats important things that need to be known. We all know the power of reputation, right? That when we repeat um, to our children, when we repeat something over and over, when we teach them, they end up getting it. They end up memorizing it. They, they end up living um, it. So this brings us to this passage in, uh, this morning, uh, beginning at verse 13 and going down to verse 18. It is a passage which is fundamentally about prayer. It is about prayer for all times. And my, my, my desire as we go through this passage is that we will be marked by a desire. Uh, we will be marked by, um, we will be fired up in a way to, 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 to a life characterized, marked by prayer. Let us hear God's word in chapter 5, verse 13 to verse 18, I read from the ESV, this is God's word, let us hear him. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and, and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and, rain, and, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This is God's word. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you to hear your word, we pray that you draw us to yourself as we sang together ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. May your ancient words, O oh God, which are still relevant in, even in our day, may they transform our hearts. May they change us and help us walk closer and with a trusting faith with you. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we pray. Now, this passage that we just read, um, the, the message here is crystal clear, right? But, but, but it is, in fact, one of the most difficult passages in the little book of James. It is also one of the most controversial passages in the book of James. 
uh, this passage is often been used to, to justify what some churches call oracular confession, um, where, where confession must be made through a priest, right? Uh, you, you come and you confess your sins to a, a priest. Father, forgive me for I have sinned and, 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 and he forgives you. So it, it has been used to, to teach that doctrine. It has also been appealed to by, by faith healers. And faith healers would bring this passage and say, no, believers must always be healed when they are prayed for. In other words, a Christian cannot be sick, according to, to faith healers. But a closer look will reveal that James is instead teaching here that prayer is a means of grace. It is a divinely appointed instrument whereby we receive the benefits of God's fatherly care and mercy. And, and indeed, as, as we have already seen in this passage, James is returning to a pattern which he revealed to us in James chapter 1. Uh, let me ask you to, to turn to James chapter 1 and look at verse 3 and uh, uh, verse 3 to 5. Remember this is what he says. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. No, no, where am I? Okay, verse 3, he says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Do you see how he's, he's connecting uh, the, the two teachings of chapter 5 and chapter 1? Right? He's speaking about responding to trials, and, and last week he was talking about patience, and now he's talking about prayer. Right? And so he's connecting these two as he did in chapter 1. And what he does here you'll notice that in chapter 5, verse 7 to 12, uh, patience is mentioned seven times. And in chapter 13, in chapter 5, verse 13 to 18, prayer is also mentioned seven times. So James is going back to a pattern which he introduced to us at the very beginning of the book. How do we as Christians hang on in the midst of trials? Right? Trials don't choose, right? Trials don't, don't pick and choose who to go to. Everyone at some point in their life will experience some kind of trials. That is why James is not specific to what trials Christians will experience. That is why he uses the word various kinds of trials. Because our trials are all cut from a different cloth. And so the question is, how then do we hang on? How don't we keep the faith? How do we keep the faith in the midst of life's most painful, painful experiences, in the midst of life's painful difficulties? He doesn't only say, be patient. He also says, pray. He also calls us to, to, to prayer. In other words, the perspective we are to cultivate is not only to, to, to persevere with a, with a patient endurance that looks to the coming of, of Christ uh, and to weather the storm as we look forward to him, but, but we are also to do what? To express our faith manifestly in God's sovereign and good providence for us 
by praying to him and showing our trust in him by prayer. And so we, 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 we are patient, yes. We must, uh, be dis- we must display uh, a characteristic of patience, but we must also pray. So James connects patience and prayer together. So as we look at this passage, I want you to see four things. Right? I want you to first see, in verse 13, the praying Christian in verses 14 and, and 15, the praying elders. and verses 16, I want you to see the praying friends. And on, in the second half of verse 16, I want you to see the praying prophet. V- verse 16 to verse 18, the praying prophet. Let's look at those things here. First of all, the praying Christian in verse 13. Look at verse 13. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. James's message is clear here. It, it, it gets harder later on, but the passage, the message here is very clear. What he's trying to communicate to us is that in every circumstance of life, we must pray. The, the, the whole of the Christian life is to be lived in communion with God. The the good and the bad in the Christian life is to be lived in communion with God. The the, the joyful and the heartbreaking in the Christian life is to be lived in communion with God. And that communion with God in good times and in bad times is to be manifested by prayer. Listen to what James says. He says, is anyone among you suffering? What is the response? How should you respond when you are suffering? James says, let him pray. Right? Let him call to God. He says, is anyone cheerful? Are things going well for you? Has God blessed you beyond your imagination? What's the proper response? Let him sing praises. I don't know if, I haven't um, verified this, but theologians say, that the, the command sing um, is, is the one that comes through in the Bible, come, that comes out most, right? The, the Bible calls us most of the time to sing. And so oftentimes when we, when we are in a cheerful condition, we think that it is easier to sing. But, but I think that what James is trying to show us here is that most of the time when we are going through the smoothness of life, when we are going through cheerfulness, oftentimes it's easy to forget God. It's so easy to forget God. That is why the prayer of Lemuel, I think, um, he prays that God would not give him so much richness that he would forget him. So James is calling us here in moments of suffering to pray, in moments of cheerfulness to sing. Do you see what he's doing? What he's calling us to is saying in every and any circumstance your focus must be on God. James' response to suffering, to the, uh, to the Christian, 
is not simply saying be patient and hang on, but rather to practically entrust yourself to the care of the Almighty God. And there's only one way to do that, right? To, to pray. Entrusting ourselves to God in prayer. His point is that prayer is always appropriate. It is always appropriate to pray. There's never a time where prayer is inappropriate. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say, oftentimes, he says that the one edge which should never be resisted is the edge to pray. The one edge, the, 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 the one edge that should never, ever be resisted is the urge to pray. There's a lot of edges in life that need to be resisted, right? But, but the edge to pray should never, ever be, 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 be resisted. But it should be cultivated. It should be encouraged. And, and that's what James is saying here. He's saying prayer is always appropriate. Prayer, you must pray when you are suffering. Uh, praise when you rejoice and, and sing when you are cheerful. In periods of troubles, in times of rejoicing, prayer and praise acknowledge that God is sufficient to help us. Trusting him and acknowledging him as the giver of every good gift. When you are mocked by prayer in suffering and, and praise in, 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 in cheerfulness, you are displaying the fact that God is your all in all. You are displaying the fact that he is the one who upholds you. There's a hymn that is called uh, um, Through All the Changing Seasons of Life. It is actually based on a psalm, um, I think Psalm 139, verse 7 to 12. Um, in the first line, this is what it says. Listen to this. Through all the changing scenes of life, in trouble and in joy, the praises of my God shall still my heart and tongue employ. Through all the changing scenes of life, I will still sing. I will still praise. I will still pray. What the psalmist is singing about here, he's saying no matter what in, is changing in life, no matter what is happening in life, we should pray and praise God. James is calling us in suffering to pray and in plenty and cheerfulness to rejoice, to praise God. Let me say this. Seasons of life must not determine our view of God. Seasons of life must not determine our view of God. Our view of God must not be based on how we feel, but rather who he has revealed himself to be in scripture. Right? When suffering or, or rejoicing comes, God remains the same. God never shifted in his character. God never shifted in who he is. His attributes did not lose their value or lose their power. God remains the same whether we are suffering, whether we are rejoicing, whether we are cheerful. So, so our view of God must not be determined by what I am going through, but must be determined by who he has revealed himself to be in scripture. Right? God never changes. He remains the same. 
The goodness of God is not determined by the fact that I have food in my fridge. It is not determined by the fact that I have money in my bank account. If I have money or don't have money, God remains good. God remains good. If I am healthy or I'm sick, God is good. Calvin says it beautifully. John Calvin says it in a way, in a way that, is, that is very uh, um, wise and, and beautiful. This is what he says. He says, there is no time in which God does not invite us to himself. You know, when you are new in the faith, and, and I pray this, this to be, to be uh, you know, a, an ever-flowing stream of, of just rejoicing in the Lord at all times. When you're new in the faith, oftentimes you just have a desire to want to be with God. Sometimes you, when you can't sleep in the middle of the night, you don't just wake up and go to your phone and start opening your, 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 your WhatsApps or going on Facebook or something like that. You, you want to fellowship with God. And, and, and this, brothers and sisters, should be the desire of Christians. This, this desire should flow at all times. In the midst of discouragement. In fact, let me say this. When you don't feel like praying, that's when you should be praying. James's point here is that in the extremes of life, in cheerfulness, in an unbearable sorrow, we are to go to the Lord in prayer. God wants us to talk to him at all times. In trouble, he's our comforter. In joy, he's the giver of all joy. We, we recognize both pleasure and pain as from the Father's hand in the different seasons of life. So we see, first of all, the praying Christian. Secondly, we see the praying elders. The praying elders. Look at verse 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This is clear. Um, but let me just make a few remarks here. You, you notice that he doesn't say, call for the elder. Right? He says, call for the elders. Um, this might not be the point of the passage, but I want you to make it clear that a, a church that is growing healthy is not focused on one man. Right? A church that is growing healthy is geared towards having a plurality of elders. Right? It, it, it does not have one shepherd. It has shepherds. And what we are to be praying for in the health of the local church is God would raise godly men to lead his church. Right? This is not the world where we have a poster child. Right? A poster boy. It's a poster boy, right? The, the face. The, 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 the healthy church is marked by a plurality of elders. 
who are keeping each other accountable, who are keeping the church accountable, and who are being kept by the church accountable. This is not about some major, major prophet. It's about what, God, what God's desire for the church is. Right? I don't want to digress, but look at what he says. I'm coming back to this. He says, if anyone among you is sick, right? If anyone among you is sick. In other words, what James is showing us here, again, brothers and sisters, you'll realize that James is talking to Christians, right? In other words, Christians also fall sick. Right? I mean, it's simple. We don't need to make that that uh, uh, you know observation, but but these days it seems that we have to make that observation. Christians also experience the curse of this world. Right? We fall sick. We 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 go through difficulty. We go through poverty. We go through all these things. We die. But we know that the death of the Christian is not the last thing. If anyone among you is sick, now this this passage really gets hard here. We, we see here something very clear. James's instruction is that in times of dire need. We need to show our dependence on, on God first and on the communion of the saints, right? And, 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 and what better way to do that than to call upon the elders, to call upon the leaders, the, the shepherds, the pastors of the communion of the saints as the representatives of the totality of the communion of the saints, right? And call down God's help in time of need. We, we, we recognize what God is doing in his church. We recognize that God has placed men in the church, right? That he has, he has chosen to be elders. Again, let me say this. The authority of the elder starts and ends with the scriptures. It is not, it is not a, a, a intrinsic authority. The only one who has intrinsic authority is Christ. The authority of the elder is derived authority. It is authority that we have been given. And so the exercise of this authority is through the scriptures. Because the most important voice in the church is God's voice, right? And when God's word speaks, God speaks. So we are to, 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 to come to appreciate the, the communion of the saints as, as represented by the elders. And, and James is reminding us that the Christian life is a life of community. It is not just about the individual and his Bible. Right? It's, about, it's about life in a community of believers of whom uh, uh, um, we are helping one another, who are assisting one another, who are encouraging one another to love and good deeds, who are praying with and, and for one another, who are, who are seeking to live together as heirs of the grace of life, living in, in a community of the saints, right? Living as family, carrying each other's burdens, 
So James is saying, let the elders, uh, call the elders. You'll notice again, brothers and sisters, that the elders here are not prophets, right? <laughs> I mean, it's clear. I mean, they, they, they need to be called. They don't know, right? They, they need to be called. So the person is doing what? Is calling. If you were to get sick today, and then you were to go through sickness, and, 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 and after two weeks, now you, you come to church and say, no one came to me, no one prayed for me. I mean, no one is a prophet here. Right? James is saying to these people, call for the elders. Make that call. And, and, and what he does here, he, he links healing and prayer and the elders and God's divine intervention. And now in this passage, uh, th this passage has been used, as I said, a lot of times by faith healers who insist that Christians must always be healed when they are prayed for. But that's not the case. Right? James here is, is, is saying, call for the elders. Right? You'll notice here that there, there, there's a couple of things that might, uh, uh, you know, take you off guard. Uh, he says, let, let him call for the elders, right? And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Yes! The doctrine of now using oil. Now, let me, let me, let me remind you. In, in scripture, we see oil used in two ways. Right? First of all, it, 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 it is used in, in ritualistic um, uh, ceremonies. Right, to anoint kings or to anoint priests, right? We, we see that. And secondly, in the New Testament, when the oil is used, it is used medicinally. It is used medicinally. So, so what, what James is saying here, and, and you'll notice that the oil is not the one that is doing the healing, right? Notice this passage. Let him call for the elders and let them pray over him, anointing him, in the name of the Lord. And what? Verse, verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. It is not the oil, but pray. Right? So what, what James is, is saying here is that <laughs> we are to prioritize prayer first of all. And I, I, I think some of you might remember that I spoke about uh, that God heals in three ways. Right? He heals, first of all, miraculously, right, when we pray. But sometimes he doesn't heal miraculously. He heals providentially. He uses medicine and, and, and medical practitioners, right? We, we don't toss out medicine. God uses that, right? So secondly, providentially. And thirdly, he heals eschatologically, right? Eschatologically is when we are in glory, without sickness, without pain, without any care of the world. Right? So, so, so these three ways that God uses to heal, we, we, we must bear in mind here that James is bringing that same idea. Right? They are to anoint him with oil. In other words, when we tell you to go to the doctor after praying for you, it is not that we lack faith. 
It is not that we lack faith. It is that we're telling you that God uses medical practitioners as well. So he goes on even further here. He, he mentions something very, it, it, it's, it's a bit awkwardly put. After, after praying, after saying the prayer of faith will save him, he says this, listen to this. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. You wonder why does James put, you know, the, the, the issue of, of sin and sickness here? I mean, does that mean that every sickness is due to sin? Yes and no. Let me answer this. Yes, in the sense that the first sin well, you know, resulted in the curse of the world, right? And, 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 and so the curse of the world comes with what? With sickness, comes with pain, comes with all the experiences. No, in the sense that the individual sickness does not necessarily mean the person has sinned, right? So there's the sin, big letter S, and there's the sin, small letter S, right? The sin, big letter S, is the sin that has gotten us into this trouble, right? And the sin, small letter S, is the sin of, of the individual sins. So when, when, when it does not necessarily mean that when you are sick, you've sinned. But sometimes that is due to the, to the reason that you've sinned. Right? Now people go through, through some of the sicknesses, and, 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 and so they are bearing burdens that they don't want to lift off. And, and James is saying here that, that when you are being prayed for, um, you will be forgiven of your sin. In other words, you must confess your sin, right? You must open your heart and confess your sin. So we see the praying elders. And thirdly, we see the praying friends. The praying friends. Look at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person has great power and it's working. Uh, not only are we, do we see the praying Christian in verse 13 or the praying elders in verse 14 and 15, we see the praying friends here. And these are praying friends who run into a bit of relational problem. They are estranged, right? They are estranged from one another. Maybe one has said something about the other that has brought a strain to their relationship. Maybe there has been a disagreement over a business transaction or some other relational problem. But these friends are estranged. There is division here. And so James says to them, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Do you see how the Bible keeps going to the idea of reminding us of this community? It keeps going back to the idea that as a community, we need to be united. And if there's anything that divides us, we need to deal with it. We, we, we don't run from it. We deal with it. It says, confess your sins. Now, I want you to, to notice here that, that James does not say, go confess your sins to somebody else. Right? In other words, if, if me and, and another brother um, have been estranged, I don't go to someone else and confess that sin. 
what James is saying here, James is gearing towards a community of transparency, a community that is truly, truly connected, right? A community that realizes that their foundation is truly Christ alone and is calling them to confess their sins to one another. He doesn't say go to a priest, but he says to one another. He says go to your friend. Uh, this is you going to a person for whom you are estranged and seeking to bring reconciliation. It's very important when we think about reconciliation because we have been reconciled to God, right? And if you are reconciled to God, that must flow into reconciliation with other people. Your relationship with other people reflects your relationship with God. So James is calling us here to, to, to pray. And, and lastly, after he talks about the praying friend, he, he, he now... Um, reminds us of the praying prophet. The example of Elijah, verse 16 and verse 18. I will be brief here. He says, uh, verse 17, I mean, and verse 18. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years, and six months it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. In the picture that he's showing us here, he's showing us the power of prayer. Because he knows that you will be tempted to say, this relationship has gone too far. There's no way, there's no way that is going to be restored. And what do you do? You, you discount the power of prayer. You, you say, my illness is just too far advanced. There's just nothing that can happen here in response to the elders' prayer. And so you discount the power of prayer. And so he gives us the picture of Elijah, who was a fallible man just like you and I. I like the word he uses for, for Elijah. He says he was a man with a, like, with a nature like ours. In other words, if he was living in our times, he would be eating pup like you and me. There was nothing super about Elijah. He was not a super Christian. He was a man with a like, like nature like ours. He was like us. But he believed God. He trusted God. Right? The, the, the scriptures are clear. When, when Elijah prayed, it didn't rain in the country. And when he prayed again, it rained. And James is saying here, don't ever discount the power of prayer. Don't ever under, uh, underestimate the power of prayer. Uh, my question is to you, brothers and sisters, do you believe in prayer? Do you really believe in prayer? Do you sit down and say, let us pray? In terms of importance, where is prayer in that line of importance in your life? Is it the first priority or is it the last priority when all else has failed and say, oh, let me pray? Do you run first to God or do you run first to your resources? Who do you run to in the midst of trial, in the midst of difficulty? Do you try to solve it all by yourself, or do you seek strength from God? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently. He, he prayed believing God. He prayed trusting God. He's, he prayed with a sense, sense of expectancy from God. 
because of who God is, right? Knowing that God, who God is, is not determined by what I'm experiencing, right? If you had to take anything home today, remember that my situation, my circumstance, does not determine who God is. God remains God, regardless of what I'm going through. Amen. And indeed, Lord, we find ourselves a lot of times in unbelief. But just as that man prayed, I believe, help my unbelief. Help us, Lord, to trust in you. Help us to see the importance of prayer in our lives so that we may honor you. We may live in patience as we look forward to the coming of Christ, but our patience also uh, um, characterized and marked by prayer and trusting in you. May you be honored, O oh God, in the preaching of your word, that your word will remain in the hearts of your people and encourage them. In the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we pray this. Amen.